We come to our time of the message, and before we get there, I don't know if you've seen um, in the news over the last month, it's really hard to miss this big event. It began with a man named Maddie Roberts, who pledged to invade Area 51. Yeah. And it was satire to begin with, but it went massively viral over the last month where 2 million users marked that they were going, we're with you, Maddie. We're going to charge the gates. Another 1.5 million users marked interested. They weren't sure yet, but they were interested. The reality is that they were agreeing to invade a highly classified military base, uh, which is not highly recommended, right? And so once he realized how many people were showing interest in this event, he scaled back and he said, no, we're not really going to Area 51. Instead, we're going to have a festival instead. And so he thought long and hard and he came up with a wonderful, unique name called Alien Stock. So Alien Stock is going to take place September 20th through the 22nd. And if you show up on the 19th, you can help with parking and registration. It's going to be in Rachel, Nevada, which is actually the closest town to Area 51. Uh, All the poor people in this town, and some of them are excited, by the way, but there's only 98 people who live in Rachel, Nevada. But on this time frame, in this time frame, this free event, by the way, in case you were interested, 9,000 people have already registered and many more on the way. It's said to surely be an experience that is out of this world, right? Added that last part for fun. So many people who are enthusiasts when it comes to aliens who would come from outer space onto this earth find this interesting and They'll gather together and they'll have this in common, I guess. I'm, I'm not one of those. I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, if that disappoints you, I'm not sorry. Uh, but when we come to the text, we see someone who really did come to this earth, uh, who was treated like an alien, who was treated differently. Uh, in fact, he was different. Um, he was not like us, but became like us so that we could have eternal life to know God. And that's where we are here in John chapter six. And instead of these men that we're going to read of in the synagogue throwing a Jesus fest or a Jesus stock because they're so excited, instead they grumble, they complain, they're frustrated, and eventually they're going to turn away, but then they're going to come back And towards the end of Jesus' life here on this earth, they're going to be the ones shouting, crucify him. This is the audience. It's in the synagogue at Capernaum. We're in John chapter 6. If you want to turn there with us today, if you need a pew Bible, you can turn to page 892. We are blessed to have God's word before us. May we treat it with great care. May we receive it with great delight. May we take serious the word of God. I stand before you with full conviction that these words are indeed true. This is the word of God. Uh, Today, we're going to do something a little different. Instead of reading the full passage before preaching from it, because of its length, uh, we're just going to read as we go along with the message. So with that, would you pray with me? Let's ask God's blessings on this time together. Father, thank you. 
we can open the scriptures and see Jesus. Thank you for eternal life. Eternal life is that we may know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. May we not be like the people that we see in this passage today who grumble at the thought of a savior who would come and live among his people to redeem and make whole, to make new. May we be excited. Father, we trust that the only way that we can know Christ and come to Christ is by your grace. So may your grace go forth. May it penetrate hearts today. May it bring light where there's darkness so that we may see Jesus. For those who are in Christ, that this would make us even more hungry to feast upon the body of Christ and drink of the blood of Christ Jesus. For we pray this in the name of Jesus and all of God's people said, amen, amen. Read with me, if you will, in verse 41. We'll go verse 41 uh, through verse 44. Now, if you're taking notes, you want to write at the top of, of the page, believe in the bread that comes down from heaven. Believe in the bread that comes down from heaven. Verse 41. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I've come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. Here in verse 41, we see a transition. Jesus with the multitudes, the crowd uh, in whom he provided uh, fish and bread and they had their full and now they're back and they're saying, give us more. We want more from you, Jesus. And he leaves that crowd and now he's in the synagogue in Capernaum, which means he's before religious leaders. They gather together in this place to hear the word of God, and now the word of God visits them in physical form. And just like their fathers in the wilderness, the Jews grumble. Just a reminder, when we're speaking of the Jews, we don't, we're not speaking of everyone who indeed is Jewish, but the Jews, this would be a party that is against Jesus from this point forward. And just like their ancestors, they grumble, they murmur. God provided for the people in the wilderness, real bread that came down from heaven and they ate. But after a time frame, they said, give us something else. We're tired of this bread. And they would constantly murmur. They would constantly grumble. And just like their ancestors, now these men are standing before the word of God who has become flesh and they're grumbling. They say this, isn't this the son of Joseph and Mary? We know them and we know you, Jesus. You're the son of a carpenter. We've seen you sitting there at the bench working. 
we've seen you grow into a man. And indeed, you're only a man. But you're saying you came down from heaven? Who do you think you are? We know who you are, Jesus. I'm going to ask you this question up front. Do you really know Jesus? Do you really know Jesus? You may say, Brian, what a really simple question that is. And indeed it is a simple question, but one that must be answered. Do you know the word of God who became flesh and dwelt among us? Do you know the Jesus of the Bible? Or have you made up your own Jesus? Is he a Jesus of your household whom you speak of as one that's Oh, he's loving, he's kind, he's considerate of others. Yes, he's always forgiving. And yes, these things are true, but is he also a Jesus that hates sin? Is he a Jesus that came and offered his body and shed his blood because you could never approach God on your own? Is he that Jesus in your life? Because for these men, he's not that Jesus. He's just a physical man who's out of his mind. Do you really know Jesus? Jesus is standing before them. And if anybody should know Jesus based on pedigree, it should have been these men. But these men in the synagogue do not know him. So that ought to cause us to step back for a moment and go, do I really know Jesus? Because these men thought they knew God. And when God comes before them in the flesh, they do not know him. But indeed, they grumble. They do not like God. They do not like what God has to say when he comes to them. And Jesus responds. You would think, okay, maybe Jesus would put this softly to them in order to keep them around, because if he's building up a crowd for himself, he would want religious people, right? He would want men who are fervently seeking God in the synagogue, so let, don't chase them away. This is what Jesus says. Verse 44, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. If you were here last week, we spoke a great deal about this verse in we really highlighted the back end of it when we talked about the word draw. What does it mean to draw? Is it, a, is it a wooing of God? Is it a whisper of God? Again and again and again until finally you just get it and you go, oh yeah, it's God who's calling me. I think I need to respond. Sorry, I haven't answered before now. Is, is that the type of drawing that we see with this word? No, th this word means to drag. But I'll remind you, it's not a dragging against one's will, but it's a dragging and bringing close so that we are made willing, that we want Jesus. Let's not forget that. And if you want to hear more about this drawing, go back and listen to last week's message if you, if you weren't here and, and to bring it all together. But today I want to focus on the word can. Because he's speaking to these religious leaders and he's saying no one can come to me, unless. So 
What does this mean, no one can? Does this mean that the Father would prevent someone from coming? That in their true, earnest desire of coming to Jesus, that they can't? That God would say, no, not in that way, no way. Or does the Father or the Son or the Spirit put an obstacle or barrier in the way to keep someone from coming when he or she urgently desires to do so? And the answer to that is no. That's not what no one can means. Instead, this word was not designed to repel, but to humble. To humble. It wasn't just to send away people. It was to humble a people. For their grumbling is an outward expression of their inward dissatisfaction. They're grumbling because inwardly they do not like Jesus. If you don't like Jesus, there's a major problem because Jesus is the only way to the Father. There's no other religion on this earth that preaches this, that Jesus is the only way. And if we're not careful, we'll be just like these men in the synagogue who grumble when we say, whoa, 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 you can't say that. Come on. Good people believe in good things. As long as we just believe in something, aren't we in a good standing? Jesus reveals to us the answer is no. You're not in a good standing just because you believe in something. You must believe in him. The problem is no one can come to him. They need Jesus, but they do not want Jesus. No one can come to Jesus because it is not our nature to come. This is what Jesus is revealing to the people. It's not our nature to come to Jesus. It is our nature and therefore our will to grumble against Christ and eventually to flee from Christ, to not come to him. At the end of this chapter, these men are going to say, this is a hard saying. And their response is that they would turn away from Jesus and go in the opposite direction. That's natural for man and woman. Why is that natural? Because it comes all the way from the garden. When Jesus said, if you eat of this fruit, you will surely die. Not just a physical death, but a spiritual death, which would cause us to be opposed to the things of God. It means it's not natural for us to come to Jesus. No one can, because we don't want to come. Water will not flow uphill, a dead tree will not produce fruit, nor will the natural man act contrary to his corrupt nature. But we've said things like, no one can climb that mountain. And now there's a long line of people who have climbed the mountain. Or no one can cure that disease, and before you know it, here comes a cure. No one can hit 60 home runs in a season. Then there's Mark McGuire, Sammy Sosa, Barry Bonds. And no one still can hit 60 home runs without a little help, right? No one can swim the English Channel, but yet now there's 11-year-olds 
who were on record of swimming the channel, all the way to senior adults, well into their 70s, swimming the English channel. I think the record is like 43 tries, successful attempts, swimming the English channel. We've heard this. No one can until all of a sudden somebody comes through and does it. But when Jesus says no one can, he means it. Creation is not just going to wise up and go, oh, we get it now. All on our own. All on our own effort. We need God. He said no one can. It's a reality. No one can come to Christ unless And with this unless comes a humility, a humbleness. In 1987, there was a wonderful commercial that came out promoting a device called Life Call. It showed, uh, I really started this wrong. I said it was a wonderful commercial, but yet it showed people who had fallen and they can't get up. I mean it like that. It's just, it's iconic. Uh, a lady that's on the floor and she's a really good actor. Help, I've fallen and I can't get up. And it's life call and you press the button and then someone comes to the rescue. But yet from there, of course, people took that line and you saw it in cartoons and movies and all throughout. Maybe you even hear it today and you young ones don't know where it originated from. But it came from 1987, life call. But I remember this commercial, and as I was reading this passage, sure enough, this commercial comes back. We must confess that we've fallen in our sin. And there's no way that we could ever get up on our own. This is what Jesus is telling these spiritual leaders, religious men of the day. You're fallen. You just don't get up on your own and come to God. And you're giving clear evidence of it by denying me as I stand before you. We must recognize that we have fallen. Not a physical fall, but a spiritual fall. Darkness has invaded us from our birth. We must recognize that the totality of our being is polluted by sin and selfishness. This is who we are. When we say that little Johnny is good for doing his chores, we're pleased with little Johnny that he was good for doing his chores, but that does not mean that little Johnny is good to come to Christ on his own merit. There are many good things that we as a creation can do for one another, but there's nothing good that we can do before the creator on our own. This is what Jesus means. I appreciate this definition by one of my favorite authors, Sam Storms. When it comes to total depravity, simply means that the whole of the individual, his heart, his soul, spirit, and will, is affected and enslaved to sin, thereby rendering him odious in the sight of God. What this means in terms of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that if left unto himself, A person will invariably, inevitably, and without pause reject the truth. This is total depravity. It's not that man is as bad as he could ever be. Thankfully for God's common grace, he withholds that. But yet, 
all of us coming from birth are totally depraved. We are in sin. There's not one person who was born coming from the line of Adam and Eve, and that's all of us in this room, who's exempt from this truth. Only one who could come who was not Adam, but the second Adam could provide life. So you say, but what about my will? How was my will impacted by this doctrine of total depravity? You still have a will. You still have a free will to go and to act and to make decisions. But yet, here's how your free will is enacted. The human will is free to choose whatever the heart desires. This is how natural man and woman are guided daily from their heart. And you say, well, no, that, that sounds pleasant. That sounds kind. Because I've seen in movies and I've heard in songs that we're to follow our heart. Go after your passions. Go after your dreams. Just follow your heart, baby. Do it. But that's a big problem. Because Jeremiah 17, 9 reveals to us that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? So before we think that it's a beautiful thing that we can follow our heart, actually it's horrific. It's deadly. Because our hearts left unto themselves and left to our own free will are deceitful. Sam Storms continues, he says, nothing compels man to sin. He sins because he loves it. He revels in it. He has no taste for God, but relishes evil and pursues it with voluntary zeal. Why does man sin? Because man loves to sin. Why does woman sin? Because woman loves to sin. Oh, but Brian, some of the sins that we commit, are you telling me that I actually love those? You commit them because you love them. That's what Scripture does for us as we stand before the truth. It reveals who we really are. I mentioned this in our spiritual disciplines class on Wednesday nights, but with television shows and now with live streaming and Netflix, whatever it may be, you may look at all the suggested movies that are out there and you go, wow, you may flip through it and go, what in the world? Why all of these movies? Do people really watch this? And what we've learned through studies is that Christians really aren't much different when it comes to the things we watch. And the reason why we see those things is because we buy into them. That's why they're there. And so when we flip through and we go, oh, Again, that is just horrible. Is it that maybe we wouldn't watch that with our wife sitting beside us and our kids, but if we were left alone, maybe we would? Because deep in our hearts, we actually love those things. We don't like to hear that, do we? 
We don't like to hear that our hearts are desperately sick and that left to our own selves, we will always choose to go against God. But Jesus is saying no one can. It's not that God's standing in his way. It's that man is not able. And because he's not able, he indeed is not willing. So it brings us to this saving faith versus unsaving faith. Verse 45 through 51, read with me. It is written in the prophets and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the father except he who is from God. He has seen the father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that no one or so that one may eat of it and not die. Verse 51, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. There's a lot there, but let's kind of break it down for a moment. He says, whoever believes has eternal life. We can overplay this in our minds and we're going, but I think I believe and I think I trust in Jesus. But what if I'm one of those no one who can? I think we're, we're misreading that if that's our approach. If we believe that Jesus is the Christ, that Jesus came to live among us and live a life that we couldn't live, that he died for us because of the life we have lived, sin against God, and he paid for our sins, and he rose from the grave so that one day he'll rise, rise us up with him. We believe these things. Then indeed, it is seen that we have eternal life. He has eternal life. Who comes to the Father? Those who have heard and learned from the Father. Verse 45 how can we come? The Father draws us to the Son, as we see in verse 44. And how do I know if I'm with Christ? You believe. You believe. For some, it seems so simple that if I just believe in Christ, and they're going, no, 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 I got to do more. But to believe is not a work of yourself. It's the grace of God upon you. Verse 47. And Jesus then tells him, I am the bread of life. And here's the contrast between the carnal versus the spiritual. He points out that their fathers received the bread, but then they, they died, led to death. It was, it was carnal. They, they had a hunger in their bellies. And so they received physical bread, but this physical bread would feed them for a day and then the next day and then the next day, but then ultimately it would perish, leading to death. And Jesus comes and says, I am the bread of life. And it's spiritual, living bread that sustains your life here on this earth in Christ and throughout all of eternity. It's life forever. So what we see is that the Father draws the church in so that she may taste and see that the Lord is good. And it does not only awaken her to the reality of spiritual things, but he imparts to her a new taste for the things of God. You begin to see a change in your life and all of a sudden you begin to hunger more for God. That's because you were eating 
of the bread of life. That bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. What Jesus is saying before these men is that I'm going to die willingly. See, your crowd's going to build, animosity's going to build, and you're going to think that it's you who's killing me. And yet God's just leaving you to your own free will to do what you have naturally done your whole life, and that's to be opposed to him. And so when God comes in the flesh and stands before you, you're opposed to him, and it leads to killing Jesus. That's what man does with his free will. God did not stop him, did he? He allowed man to take Jesus all the way to the cross. But Jesus would also say that I laid down my life. I willingly laid down my life. I will give for the life of the world. It's him foreshadowing the cross. Those who have a saving faith look to the cross and believe. They believe and they don't walk away going, well, can we talk about something else besides the cross? No. Because without the cross, there's no life. We begin to talk about Jesus without the cross, then why did Jesus ever come? Jesus had to die. He had to pay for sins, real sins against a holy God. And because he paid for those real sins, there are many people who will believe and can come because the Father draws them by his wonderful grace. Verse 52 through 59. The Jews then disputed among themselves saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living father sent me and I live because of the father. So whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. Now, again, rather beefy response by Jesus. So much goodness in this response. But how do the Jews respond to hearing Jesus say that he is the bread of life? Do they rejoice? Again, do they throw a festival for him? No, they grumble. They grumble and begin to dispute among themselves, which means they're becoming more hostile towards Jesus. They're hearing the words of truth, but they're not responding to the truth. The very words that Jesus says, no one can come to me. They're displaying inaction as they follow their own hearts. It was not the thought of cannibalism that caused them to grumble. It was their unsaving faith. They thought they had faith. 
They thought they had life already. But yet they respond with, how can this man? See, they thought they knew Jesus. But when Jesus stood before them and said these things, they denied him. So what's Jesus' response? (laughs) Jesus back away and say, guys, I'm sorry I've offended you today. Obviously, you're not in the mood to have more conversation. Maybe we should reconvene at another time and talk about this. You know, sometimes that's pretty wise advice when we're trying to share Jesus with someone and they're getting angry. They're saying, who do you think you are to tell me about Jesus? Who do you think you are? And you just go, you know what? Listen, maybe, maybe we just need to come back to this later, but not Jesus. <laughs> he does not back down. And here's his response. Here are three takeaways. Number one, if we reject Christ's body and blood, we remain empty of life. We remain empty. It's not that there's a draining of life that was already in us. We just stay empty of life. For he says, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink of his blood, you have no life in you. No life. This is in the negative. What he's saying is you are empty of anything that is good and glorifying and honoring to God. You remain in darkness. You remain as you were born in sin. But number two, if we receive Christ's body and blood, we will be filled with eternal life. For he says, whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. You hear that? Has eternal life. This is the positive. This means you're filled with eternal life. You're filled with the goodness of God, filled with the things that are honoring to God, that we can worship him. All of this filling is by the grace of God as he's drawn us to the Son. We're filled with everything good that is in Christ. Yes, we still sin. Yes, we still fall. And many times we fall hard, but our hope is not in our own work, is it? It's in the work of Christ. I love how R.C. Sproul said, it really is by work that you're saved. By the work of Christ. And this good work is given to us, placed upon us. This is the eternal life that we receive and that we would know God by the righteousness of Jesus. And then number three, if we abide in Christ, he will sustain us daily with his body and blood. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. We'll hear this again. John chapter 15, verse five, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit for apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing because you're an empty barren tree. But yet in me, Here I provide you life. Life flows through you because I am the substance of life. See it again. John 6, 57, as we read, as the living father sent me, I live because of the father. So whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. He's saying, I'm here because the father sent me. I'm living on this earth because it's the father's plan. You trust in me, you live. 
A.W. Pink says, just as the incarnate son went on earth, lived in humble dependence on the father. So now the believer is to live his daily life in humble dependence on Christ. There's an abiding, a remaining. Those who have true faith, a saving faith, remain in Christ forever. For it is by grace they have been saved, because no one can. It's just impossible due to man's sin that he could just freely approach. In fact, he doesn't want to freely approach. We can't get around that in scriptures. We see it all before us. But yet when we are found in Christ, we can abide in him and him in us. And in 1 Peter 2, 9, we see something wonderful as a result but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Who is this? It's the church. It's the church. It's not Israel. It's the church. That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. What is salvation for? That you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. It means you abide in him and you always make it about him. This is the wonderful gift of salvation. That it's no longer about us, but it's all about God. This is eternal life. This is when we truly began to live. And so, let me give you a few takeaways overall today. Before I get to those, you see the bread and you see the cup here. What some would say to this passage is that Jesus is talking about the sacraments. He's talking about eating bread, drinking wine, and that as long as you do that, you have life. And that's ongoing, but yet that's very unconvincing because Jesus is clearly pointing out here that it's about believing. To eat of the body of Christ, to drink of his blood, means you believe for him to be your all in all, the sustainer of your life every day. Every day. Not a one-time moment, but a forever moment of following Christ. And so if this is the case, here's a few reminders for us. Number one, you must eat to receive. You must eat to receive. It's not enough just to stand back and go, I think Jesus is a good person. I, I think he was a good man. I think he was a good savior. But yet I respect all the other religions as well as good. So whatever road you want to take, you just take that. Who am I to speak against it? Well, Jesus spoke against it, and those who are in Christ should speak against it. Those who have eaten receive. It's not enough just to have a pantry full of groceries. And you walk in and you open a door and you go, man, there's nothing to eat. We eat even when it doesn't seem satisfying. Which means we trust in Christ, we believe in Christ, even when we're not in a moment of wanting to. But we have been given the ability to do so. Isn't that good? That even... When you can honestly say, Jesus, today, I do not desire you. I'm not feeling it. It's okay, you don't have to feel it. I felt it for you on the cross. I paid for you. So you don't go by feeling. You go by truth. Man, you're mine. And with that glorious truth, we, we push through the feeling and we continue 
in faith. Man, that is a gift, folks. That is a gift. So it's not enough just to know a little bit about Jesus. We should always be hungry for more, to learn about Jesus ongoing. Maybe you're in a season right now where you're just, you're done. You haven't cracked a Bible in a while. You haven't thought of praying in a while. Will you hear this today and know that believing means that you continue to abide in trust. You must eat to receive. Next, you must eat to have ownership. You must eat to have ownership, not ownership of Jesus. Not, I'll own you now, Jesus. You can do whatever I want. No, you must eat to have ownership of a real faith, a real faith. Do you have ownership of a real faith? When we go to Chick-fil-A, I order my sandwich as is. Now, I don't always order like that, but Chick-fil-A, I just want the number one the way it's supposed to be. But my children, they don't like pickles on their sandwiches. And I know I'm working on this whole discipleship thing, that they would enjoy the fullness. I get it. So if we get home and we get around the table, all of a sudden I bite into a sandwich and I go, hmm, it's good. Something's missing. Still good, though. I'm eating. And then all of a sudden I hear one of my boys go, hey, I've got pickles on my sandwich. It's soggy. I don't want this sandwich. And I go, oh, I'm sorry, son. I didn't check. Uh, I think I'm eating your sandwich. Would, would, you, would you like it now? No, I don't want it now. Why? <laughs> because as soon as I bit into that sandwich, it became mine. It became mine. When we were teenagers and we would all hang out together at a party or a friend's house. We'd order pizza, and there's that one slice of pizza left, and you didn't sit around going, oh, no, you have it, no, you have it. Somebody's about to sneeze on that piece of pizza and make it theirs. <laughs> Take a bite out of it. Now it's yours. You own it. But there's always that one crazy friend who breaks the illustration who would eat it anyway. You must eat of the body of Christ and drink of the blood to have ownership of a real faith meaning you die to yourself and you truly believe that he is the one who gives life. And then finally, no one can eat for you. No one can eat for you. Moms, dads, you can't eat for your children. And that's hard. We can't eat for our best friend. We can't eat for our coworkers. We can only eat for ourselves and enjoy and boast of the body and blood of Christ. Those of you who are here today, and maybe you thought that you were all good because mom and dad have a real faith in Jesus, and you could really care less they cannot eat for you. You too must eat of the body and drink of the blood of Christ. May this weigh heavily on our hearts, this reality, and instead of discouraging us from evangelism, that we would go even more with great zeal and passion and love to boast of Jesus Christ. Believe in the bread 
that comes down from heaven. Let us pray. Father, thank you. That as we eat of the bread and drink of the blood, that truly we are sustained. We are filled with a goodness, a wholeness. To go with us the rest of our life here on this earth and throughout all of eternity. Father, I pray for those in the room who have lost loved ones. And they struggle. They struggle through the day. They struggle through seasons. Although this is a very harsh reality for them, I pray, Father, that they would eat of the body and drink of the blood of Christ each day. And even through suffering and sorrow, yet they would be sustained. And they would even proclaim that there is a goodness found in Christ. The root of their very being, there's something very good. I pray for those in this room who do not know you and they have just expected others to eat for them. May it hit them so heavily at this moment that they too must eat. They must believe in Christ. They must believe that they are a sinner who has sinned against you. And Lord, that they would place a true faith in Christ today. Bless them, Lord. As we receive communion, Father, bless our time as we take the bread and we eat of it and we remember the body of Christ. And bless us as we take the cup and we drink of it to remember the blood which washes away our sins, bringing us into a good, wholesome fellowship. Lord, we thank you. We ask your blessings as we move forward in Jesus' name. Amen.